Good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on where you're listening. Uh, welcome to Apples and Coffee, a podcast about education for those interested in education by those in education. I'm your host, Stephen Keen II. Uh, today's episode is going to focus on why do we teach? Like, why teach? And I have three guests who will introduce themselves, starting in the top left, will be Allie. Hi, I'm Allie Haddad. I've been teaching for four years in Dallas. Um, where I've taught science. In my bottom left, I have uh, Patrick. Hi, my name is Patrick Joyner. I've been teaching in the United States, in China, and in Japan. I'm actually returning back to Japan this summer to teach kindergarten. And then my bottom right, I have Janelle. Hi, uh, I'm Janelle Benson. I've been teaching in Texas for four years. And my name again, Stephen King. I've been teaching, this is my fourth year in Texas also. And so we're just going to start. Any of the guests could jump in. Uh, the first question is, uh, when did you want to become a teacher? Uh, for me, I actually didn't want to be a teacher. Um, I wanted to be a lawyer. And then I started having conflict of ethics. I was like, yeah, let me be a doctor. I only want to be a doctor because I made money. Uh, the classes were difficult. But my fiance at the time um, told me, hey, I don't want you to get a job that you're going to hate just to make money and complain to me about because money's not enough to keep you at a job. So she took me to my guidance counselor uh, at the college I was attending at the time, and I took a test. They asked me a few questions like, hey, what brings you most fulfillment? If you could do this, uh, what would it do for you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And really it filtered down to the four jobs that I qualified based on my questions that I answered was elementary school teacher, principal, middle school teacher, assistant principal. So the only option based off of who I was, was education. I opened it for me. And so, so I began teaching. So you're an educator. That's what it says. Basically. You have no choice but to be an educator. Yes, sir. <laughs> There's sir, no I, it. I mean, monetarily, probably, but outside of that, fulfillment wise, loving my job, not being tired of lesson planning because I love teaching. Yeah, I haven't regretted that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think that um, my story is kind of similar to uh, Patrick's story is that kind of just not really knowing, um, but always kind of feeling a calling or always kind of feeling that uh, pull towards education in some aspects, uh, whether that be like people telling me or some personality test revealing it to me. Um, but definitely, uh, I was a student tutor in high school. So I always knew that I had that skill set yeah. of, um, you know, educating uh, and educating peers and other, uh, you know, educating others uh, in general. So I think that at some point in college, I was like, you know, there are all of these issues and I want to tackle all of these issues. Where can I go? And I think that uh, I found that in the classroom um, that, you know, there's a lot of things that go right. And there's a lot of things that um, are challenging and can use some work. And I think that that's where I found uh, my work at. Mine's also kind of similar. Um, it was like my last year of college and I was like, man, like I, I like psychology, but I don't really know if I want to go to school for like more years after this. And so um, that's kind of how I got into teaching is I saw like a, basically like a recruiter, like you can become certified in teaching. Um, and I was like, you know, like I like learning new things and, you know, I like work. I feel like I would like working somewhere where it's not the same thing every day. So I was like, you know, education, maybe where, um, like maybe like where I'm supposed to be. And it actually, it worked out really well for me, but it really was kind of like, a, okay, like we're just going to try this and we're going to see if it works. Right. All right. So I guess I always knew I was supposed to be a teacher going probably all the way back to like high school or right when I graduated high school. But like I knew that was my calling, but I felt like I wanted to do other things. So I joined the Marine Corps. And then when I got in Marine Corps, I started going to school for computer programming because I was like, yeah, I don't want to be a teacher. I want to program and make video games. Then I took uh, a programming class like my first semester and I was like, Ooh, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. So then I started doing that little history thing. And then my mom gave, gave me an opportunity to speak to some young uh, teenagers in this. Um, they, it was like a troubled student, a troubled kid, like home school. So I went in there, had a chance to be in front of, I saw my first time in front of a classroom of uh, teenage kids and I talked to them. 
about life experiences and what they can do to better their lives, so on and so forth. And it felt so natural to me. And it's like, all right, God, you've been telling me to do this for a while. I try to do my own thing, but it's obvious that this is what you want me to do. So let me just quit playing around and let me just jump on this teaching train. So then I decided to, uh, I didn't switch over to education because I wanted to stay a his, like a history major um, and a writing minor. So I stuck with that because I knew there was alternative ways to get a teaching certification. So that's what I decided to do. And I, I do not regret it. Uh, I do believe that education, whether it's in a classroom or one day running the school, fingers crossed, is my life's calling. And I do think I'm pretty dang good at it. So uh, I have no regrets. Um, it is challenging at times, without a doubt, especially in 2022. Uh, these COVID years have shined the lighthouse light on a lot of problems that we've that we have. So I do believe there's more challenges to come, but I do think I'm capable of handling those challenges. What challenges scare you the most? I don't want to say scare you the most, but like, which ones are the ones you're most cognizant of, the ones you're most watching for? I guess probably the best way to ask it. And that's for anybody. I think trying to, because middle school kids, well, all kids in general, but I'm, I'm going to focus on middle school kids because that's what I teach. I am one of many voices that are in their head. I am one of many influences in their lives. Uh, not all those influences are positive influence and not all those influences have their best, uh, their, their best intentions for those kids. So my biggest, what I say is the biggest challenge is trying to be the most, one of the more dominant positive voices that they listen to that combat all the negative voices that they're encountering. So I can help set them on a better path, whatever that path may be. I don't, I can't, I don't know what their path is going to be, but I want to be able to set them on a path to where they're most successful they'll be with their skill set and just battling those outside forces that want to hold them back or tear them down. is just the biggest challenge because it's, there's just so many of them and it's just like trying to fight a hydra to be honest right cut off one head two more takes i mean real talk comic book reference but yeah it's literally <laughs> yeah i mean i also think like just to kind of touch on patrick's question is just like teaching in texas it, it gets interesting so um <laughs> may i ask what kind of interesting because uh, i'm in georgia and i lived in texas for a little bit in being from outside of Texas, we hear things about, you know, hey, if you're black and you go to Texas, man, is, is, is that kind of what you're alluding to or is it something completely different? Um, yeah, there, there, of course, there's, you know, the racial dynamics of being uh, in Texas and in the South. Um, but, there, you know, there's also the, uh, you know, Texas follows, we follow Teeks, uh, you know, our, our testing, the way we test our students is a little bit different. Um, so, you know, the state would argue that it's rigorous. So, you know, uh, it's a rigorous test. Um, so I think that there's a lot of different things to be said about Texas and about teaching in Texas. I think specifically um, that there is a Texas culture and then there's like an actual culture of Texas that exists and they're two different things. And so, um, yeah, and I, so I think that the culture that our students experience and the culture that they are taught um, you know, are juxtaposing in a way. And so I think that's tough. And that even flows into mathematics. So like in, in, in Georgia, we'll get to the original thing. I want to get back to that. The, the, the COVID stuff that I was kind of worried about is like accountability and responsibility, but I'll get back to that later. But like, as far as like what I just said about what I'm worried about, um, I'm worried about parents, man. I'm worried about parents not managing their own expectations. They're parents that have been with their child for, what, two years based on when you've been quarantining. And so the parents think, oh, man, my baby, my baby's got it. My baby knows it all because they've only known their baby for this. And in their own perspective, yeah, their baby might be smart, right? But you get them in the classroom where now, okay, now you have to figure out what this poet means when he says... X, Y, Z, that's not the same thing that you were observing when you were in home and getting parents to understand that, like, hey, your child needs help here. A lot of these parents are the ones that I have are telling me, hey, you need to figure out a way how to bridge that gap that I am. But it's like they're blaming me for the deficits their child has. They're blaming me for finding the deficits, not for trying to fix. I mean, it's hard. It's weird how these parents are not accepting any kind of um, criticism for where their child is. But that's what I'm worried about here. 
Uh, that's what showed up in the classroom with parents. So. No, I'm going to get Ali in one second. But this is why I want to do this episode on why teach, because there are so many teachers right now leaving the profession due to several frustrations. And so I hope that this can be kind of like a positive. There's reasons to do it despite the frustration. Mm -hmm. And I just want to reinforce that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want people to feel defeated because it, right. it's very easy right now to look at the look at the news, look at the the culture, look at the environment, and be like, "Dang, is this really is this really it?" So it's it's easy to feel defeated, and obviously right. it's easier to be negative than positive, so on and so forth. So, uh, but yeah, Ali. Um, I guess when it comes to like challenges that I've I guess started noticing more of like during and after COVID is just like the importance of like socialization. And I even think like, cause I know they were behind like a screen for like a while, but even without COVID, like there's like all of our kids have like, they have Instagram, they have TikTok, they have Snapchat, like this is how they're communicating. And that's definitely fine. Like I, I use those things as well, but I think it also makes it difficult to like communicate outside of a screen. And it like, it's kind of concerning to be like, oh, their main way of talking to some of their friends is like through Instagram messaging and things can get taken like in such terrible ways when you're like looking at like, oh, this is what they typed to me. And that might not be like what their friend meant to say, but it's also goes back to like sometimes when they are face to face and especially when they came back after the pandemic, it's just like, oh, they went from only communicating in this one way to having to communicate in person. Um, And so I think that's been one of the things that I've definitely noticed, like, especially because of COVID, but also I feel like it was sort of starting like even before in front of a screen all the time. It does, it does make it tough. I try to incorporate soft skills in my classroom every, any any way I can, because I do believe, you know, soft skills are those skills that transfer to any occupation and the lack of soft skills is, I'm gonna, I don't know, troubling. It's concerning the lack of growth in those soft skills and the whole <laughs> talking to the screen definitely doesn't help. Yeah, I think but, there, it's a lot of access without like redirection or like without direction at all. So it's it's hard, you know, to to say because um, I was I mean, I had this conversation with some colleagues the other day was that, you know, we expect kids to, like, you know, problem solve and resolve. But like, how have we modeled that to them? You know, is it being modeled in their homes? Probably not. Are we modeling it at school? No, because every time we get mad, we want to slam something on the desk. So are we modeling like, you know, peaceful and restorative conflict resolution? Or are we teaching kids to react violently every time they're upset? And so and and that's a lot of what I kind of notice is like, you know, kids don't really have great role models and the role models that they do have access to, they have no direction or like no actual real feedback from. So that's. I'm glad you brought that up to because like one of the things that I kind of focused on this year was social emotional learning, um, making sure one, I understood my emotions, understanding that I know I need to know how to name my emotions and then giving that to students. Middle schoolers need that anyway. <laughs> Forget COVID. Without COVID, they need that in the first place. Uh, so I knew it would be doubly important. So that's one of the things that I made sure that we did. We check in with each other. Hey, how you doing? Who's having a less than okay day? I want to make sure I didn't put any negative connotations in there. But like, hey, who's having a less than okay day? Why is it going that way? And then we name the emotion that student was feeling. Who's having an okay day, a good day, a great day? And then another thing we would do is work in groups project-based learning. That's one of the best ways to make sure students get social emotional learning, right? Because you cannot communicate with someone if you don't know what what emotion you're feeling, right? Or you can't communicate effectively with somebody if you can't manage your emotions. So that's two of the big things that I really concentrated on. And it's one of the reasons why I want to teach because I know I wasn't taught anything about emotions. And that's something I had to learn when I got 30, really like the third year of my marriage is when I started to understand, okay, emotions really are important. You're not just being emotional. You're not just being soft. Like you're a human and you deserve to feel those feelings. So that's one of the reasons why I want to get into to teaching, to help these students understand their emotions because they don't understand anything about Shakespeare. At least they know something about their own emotions. And I feel like that's a big win. I, remember, I used to be that you're being soft person. Mm. When I was, especially when I was in the Marine Corps. Holy goodness, it's all people expressing their emotions like, oh, stop being soft, stop being weak, so on and so forth. And, and uh, it wasn't until, actually it wasn't until I started the whole education teaching journey where I realized like, dang, 
all those Marines that I would get in on for being emotional, had valid reasons for their emotions and, you know, having them express their emotions isn't a bad thing. It's actually healthy. And, you know, a lot of issues we as adults have right now is because in our younger ages, we weren't allowed to express those emotions. And being in the classroom, seeing my students work through those and remembering like how it was for me growing up or in my early years in the Marine Corps, I was still dealing with kids, 18, 19 years old in the Marine Corps. And it's like, holy goodness gracious, I was I was being part of the problem and I do not want to be part of the problem anymore. So, you know, one of the things, especially this year, when like a student has like an episode or something like that, I always try to re- reinforce them. I do it with Josiah also. Uh, whenever he's mad, it's like, it's okay, you're feeling this. That's fine. This is perfectly valid. It's okay. Feel your emotions. But we, we that's, and so I try to reinforce that. It's okay to express how you're feeling. I'm not trying to say you can't feel this way. I want you to feel this way. And then feel it so we could talk through it, work through it and everything. I just, the last couple of, especially the last, my first year, not so much, but my second year of teaching last year and then this year, definitely been trying to hit. Yeah, yeah. And there's so much value in that. Um, And I would, I just want to say, because I think you and Patrick both hit this point, um, but I want to just like tie this back to the, the topic that we were talking about is that even after having a really bad year, and I would say that this fourth year was the, and I know there's not been many, but there, this was the toughest year. And um, it was, and, and it was tough, not even just like, because teaching is tough, but just because like the world just became, I don't know, tougher, or did I just like become a real adult? Did I have like more response? I don't know what it was, but I just felt like the year was tougher. And I just want to say this to any future teacher that's listening, anyone that's, you know, like, thinking about leaving education, that there is something to be said that if you are called to something, that there's a reason why you're called to and there's something that's bringing you back. And I think that all of this, like, I need to be, for some reason, I know that I need to be for some kid every year, the adult that I didn't have in my life when I was younger. And so, and I think that that's what, like, no matter what, will always bring me back to the classroom. It'll always bring me back to teaching. It'll always bring me to kids and, like, that love Um, Because I just think that it is so if you learn nothing else in life, if you learn to feel and to process and then to heal, you are you will be okay. And I think that 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 there's so much value in teaching the kids those coping skills and like, how do I feel anger and then move and then solve it and heal from it and then and not cause trauma because I'm angry. And so I think that, you know, um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I congratulate you guys. And I know Allie does a lot too. So, um, but yeah, that that that's big. I want to go to one thing, like our educational process, becoming better educators, learning about ourselves. So I want to uh, start off with Allie real quick. Growing up, if I don't know if anyone influenced you as an educator, or if you look back on a teacher, uh, good or bad, but this goes into uh, kind of what I had mentioned, I think uh, had, had mentioned also about, you know, being like, or I think it was Janelle, one of you said, being that, no, Janelle said it, being an adult that she didn't have, or what was that? You just, you just said it. Yeah, right? yeah, no, being the adult uh, for a kid that I didn't have as a kid, so. Exactly, you know, so you that's perfect for yeah. educators, like what, like, what kind of educator did you have growing up, if there was an educator that you had growing up that impacted you as an educator today, whether it's something that you like from them or something that they did that you're like, I never want to bring that into my classroom. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay. Um, So I'll start with like the educators that I liked. Um, I will say like, I don't think I ever really had like any teachers who like I absolutely couldn't like stand, but I don't think I was like super connected to like a whole lot of teachers probably until high school. And it was like a AP psych class that I think I took when I was a junior. And that was probably the first class that I like, you know, I, that I went to because I was like, oh, I really enjoy this. And that teacher just sort of like, she kind of like met us where we were. Um, cause like people were in that class at like a ton of different levels. And so like, that was kind of like really great. So for people who are just naturally going to get like the biology part of it, she's like, okay, like I'm going to give you something to do, but also like people like me who the biology part of the brain was a struggle. She was like, Oh, let's come up with like some kind of like, like way for you to like, remember this, which I think is like 
was like really helpful because in my mind, I was like, okay, if I can like somehow relate these neurons firing to like people playing a sport, like it was, that was great. And so that's kind of why I went to college. And then later decided to like even go into psychology is because she was just able to teach in such a fun and interesting way. In terms of teachers who I think are the ones who I never wanted to be like are there were, you know, a couple classes where we came in every day and like opened a textbook and just read it and tried to like learn it ourselves. Um, one case I remember in college I was taking a statistics class and I was like, okay, I need to ask this professor to go to their office hours. And she was like, oh, just do some more problems out of the workbook on your own and like, wouldn't meet with me ever. So I think I like, and I never want to be that teacher who's just like, well, if you don't understand it, it's just your fault. Like you just need to work harder because that's how that teacher made me feel. But yeah, that's, I guess, like some of the educators who I really liked were the ones who kind of was like, they made it fun. Like, yes, we were, we were learning, but it was like a fun way to do it. And the ones that I didn't were the ones who kind of made it seem like it was me not working hard enough to like not understand something and not offering any kind of solution to like how I was struggling. There's a two teach. So Miss Dixon taught me patience and taught me patience as a teacher because she was patient with me as a, what was it, seventh or eighth grader as a middle schooler. She was patient with me. Uh, anyone who had class with me knows that I wasn't the easiest person to have a class with. Not that I was super disrespectful or anything. I was just very intense with what I thought I knew. And uh, Miss Dixon, old, she was an old white lady, but she commanded that classroom and she did it in the most calm, chill way that I'm just like, uh, I give her props. And then I had Mr. Creek. He was a, he was my 10th grade, who was it geometry? But he also did my AP stats class. He tricked me into taking AP stats. Like literally, or he tricked me to taking AP classes in general. But he believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And he had a way of like pushing you without being all overly aggressive about it and everything. And so you weren't like, you didn't feel like you were being swallowed up and everything. And he just had a nice little subtle way of doing things. And he was just relaxed. And those like the two teachers who, if I could combine those two into my teaching style, that's the kind of teacher I hope to be one day at the ultimate like level of teaching. Janelle? Uh, yeah, I, I think that one of the teachers that I admire the most is my mother. Um, I, um, she is probably the biggest reason why I was like, I've, I I felt safe becoming a teacher, I guess, if that's the right word to use. And um, I think just growing up, she was there for me in a lot of different ways um, that I don't think, I think there, you know, there, there's a saying that it takes a village to raise a child. And I think that my mom understood that you can't just parent your kids from a authoritative um, aspect that it does take another there. It does take other avenues to like raise a kid. And uh, when those avenues weren't available through like the village or the other adults, she really did provide that. So whether that be like really talking to me about my emotions or talking to me about uh, like relationships and friendships that were in my life, I do feel like my, but also teaching me in a very rich and valuable way. Um, I think that she was just like a really great teacher in that aspect. And she also isn't like an educator uh, also in Texas. And so I think that she, you know, she poured a lot into me, uh, a lot academically, a lot um, socially and emotionally and just making sure that you worked, you put things, you put your heart into things. And I think that that's like kind of what I've learned from her. And then, um, how I'm trying to translate it, things into my work is just leading with your heart, um, and being an emotional leader rather than just being, you know, like, um, you know, a leader on paper. And so I think that that's something that I've really learned, uh, from my mother, um, and from my mother as a teacher. So I have, um, Three people. Two were actual teachers. One was someone, uh, my supervisor of the Air Force. Miss Higgs, my fifth grade teacher. Mr. Morrison was my seventh grade teacher. And um, fifth grade was the time where I started to realize, oh man, I'm actually pretty smart. And I knew that because I was Miss Higgs' favorite student, but she wouldn't let me slide because of it. She would hold me to a higher standard. So when everybody else was going to the library, they were getting books. I would get a book on uh, athlete, and she said no, because one, that book's not high enough level. Two, you are capable of so much more. Why limit yourself to just athlete? So if you're going to get that book, get it, but get something else that's going to push you. And that stuck with me because even when I have favorites in my classes now, because we're teachers, we all have favorites. I make sure they understood. 
I love you, but you're going to do more because I can't show you this treatment and then expect less of you because everybody else is going to say, well, you let him do 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 and you don't want that because you're going to get bullied, all right? So I'm going to hold you to a higher standard. And the students understand that and they adhere to that. Mr. Morrison, because I seventh grade, you don't know yourself. You're trying to fit in. I made a dirty joke. I'm not proud of it. It got laughter. Everybody laughed. Mr. <laughs> Morrison didn't tell everybody to stop. He just sat there and looked. Waited for everybody to stop. Looked at me and said, I thought I thought higher of you than what you just showed me. And that hurt. And I never made dirty jokes again, especially in this class. Um, but those two really taught me discipline and having a high mor- or having a strong moral center. And I try to keep that with my teachers and even as a just every day as a man. And then Mr. Uh, not Mr. Tech Sergeant Simpson was someone who knew the rules backwards. Even if he got in trouble, you couldn't break military bearings. If you did, he would tell you, hey, this is what you did. This is how you addressed me. I don't appreciate it. And then you go talk to your squadron commander. And then you'd have to give him that I've seen it happen. So <laughs> knowing the rules, right? Knowing teaks, knowing what's uh, uh, required of me as a teacher, being disciplined, having a strong moral center. Those are the three that I learned from those teachers. <laughs> Funny you said, yeah, like students like to ask the question, who's your favorite? Who's your favorite? Who's your favorite? And then I tell them, first of all, you don't want to be one of my favorites because if you're one of my favorites, then that means that um, I have high expectations of you. And you cannot get away with what other people can. So mm-hmm. before you ask that, let you know. And then like I like I adopt kids. I have sons and daughters. And that's even worse than being a favorite because that means I'm basically calling you my kid. And I'd be dang if my kid's gone slack. So then sometimes I'm like, I don't want to be your kid anymore. I'm like, well, too late now. Papers have been signed. You've been adopted. So you can't be given up. I'll protect service. Can you come get your money? <laughs> but I, I love that. I love that. Kids, you know, and I don't think I could teach anything else but middle school. I do. Cause I think middle school, they're just, you know, they're, it's that age trying to find themselves, not knowing like who they are fully. And, you know, and they just, they, like, their body, like, not just, their mind is just all over the place. And I just love the randomness that comes with little discovery. <laughs> I do, like, well, I think elementary, I think those elementary kids will walk all over me, if I'm being honest. I'm like, yeah. Because they're so sweet. I, I, I know myself. I know if I taught a second grade class, those second graders will literally probably walk all over me, kind of like, dang, even like you being bad, but you, you, you being adorable at the same time. Like, how do I work with that? Like, no, I can't do that. I know myself. See, Japan gave me practice with that. Kids are super adorable in their uh, uniforms and their hats across the streets and such and such. But, hey, yo, it's time to do work, you guys. Let's get to work. So if I can put up with that, I can put up with me. Did you all see yourselves teaching the grade levels that you teach now? Or did you like originally want to teach a different, like you said, you're like, I can't see myself anywhere other than middle school, but did you like ever want to teach? Like when you first started teaching, is that where you saw yourself? Well, my first interview was at North Dallas high school. I thought I went to high school that I didn't get that. And I got middle school. I started teaching middle school and I saw how good I was with middle school. I was like, this is it. And this year I coached. I didn't teach, but I was a part-time coach at, you know, for high school and I'm taking a full-time job over next year coaching up there. And I don't know if I would do well with teaching those kids. Like I can coach them, but I don't know if I want them in my classroom. Why? I don't, I just, I just, I, it might be my personality type. I'm like, I'm still like, I I can be the adult in the room, but I'm kind of jovial at the same time. And I just don't think those high school kids just get my vibe. They'll be like, dang, this dude is not like, he ain't it. Like, and then if I taught high school, I have to go more Marine Corps mode, Sergeant King, where it's more like still able to have fun, but more like sternish. Like in middle school, I can, I can be fun and serious and go back and forth with that and everything. It just makes it um, easier. It's just my personality. In high school, I think it would be opposite because, I mean, hey, you fail, you fail. It ain't got nothing to do with me. I don't have to push you through. You no, got to get some credit. That is true. Yeah. Though. I mean, we could play. We could play all day. Either way, I'm getting paid. <laughs> well, do? high school does have, a, I think, a little bit higher level of accountability for the students. Mm-hmm. But I just think, just, just with my personality, with the things that, I'm interested in my hobbies. I just, 
it feels like it meshes well. Like, I don't know if I could, I, I, I never taught high school, but I just feel like the way I can tie in video games, anime, music with my middle school kids that get them to buy in, it's mm-hmm. just, it just works. And maybe I'm too scared to try it at high school. I don't know. I just know that I'm good at middle school. I think that's what it is, bro. Because like, I'm good at middle school. I man. have a Japanese club at my school. And I keep getting, you know, high school students like, hey, man, can we can we join? Can we? Because apparently there is like there was like a huge demand for it to where like 30 or 40 high school students wanted to join my Japanese club. I couldn't let them. But I don't know. Maybe it's just my area where the high school students love anime and stuff like that. So No, I mean, the high school students here love it also. But I just think loving it, but also be able to use it to tie it, like to bring kids into the mm. whole educational process it feels it's middle school like i kids literally start listening to me once they find out i like their show or once they find out i've seen their show they're like okay i'm now going to listen to you because of a show that right right uh, right i watched and i'm like dang is that easy and so yeah i mean <laughs> i love it but yeah what about anyone else elementary or high school college and i want to be I think that uh, my certification is four through eight. And I was like, that's perfect. I don't want anything younger than nine or anything over 14. And so I think that I, I settled in very nicely. I started seventh grade and now I teach sixth grade. I like sixth grade a little bit more. Uh, they're a little more malleable than seventh graders are. You catch them right at that time before they uh, let the crazy be them. And uh, so I think that's that's. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's actually, I think after seeing the last group, like the last couple of years, once they got the eighth grade, I don't even know if I could teach eighth grade, to be honest, because I feel like these eighth, once they get the eighth grade, they're like. They're just, they just think they're the so, and that's the thing. And I think this is kind of like the point you were talking about is that like sixth and seventh graders, they just want to latch on to something. And so if they can find an adult that they feel a relationship to, and they're like, I'm going to latch on what they're latched on to, or like what they think is cool, because that's like what sixth and seventh graders do. But I think in high school, you kind of found your niche. And so if your teachers kind of maybe not are outside of your niche, you might think he's weird or something. And so yeah. maybe that's what you kind of feel with the different ages is that high schools are kind of like, uh, yeah, or they're just like, can you just teach? I'm just trying to graduate. And so I think you maybe you get a little bit of that in high school. Well, when I was coaching, I coached the middle schoolers and coaching the high schoolers, like the middle school rolling with some of my dad jokes and everything. They're like, oh, but, you know, Coach King's hilarious. Ha ha ha. These high school kids be looking at me like, you serious? Yeah, it's kind of funny but you seriously said that i'm like dang y'all tough crowd around here like jeez but high school it's cool to be dry it's cool to be dry in high school and Mm -hmm. not emote you don't want to show too much emotion high school you have to be like the sarcastic jerk exactly yeah that is true that is true you made your dirty joke in high school didn't you or was it middle school what's that you're, I'm talking about Patrick's dirty joke because I feel like in middle school they no, made, okay yeah that's what I was, I was gonna say in middle school they made dirty jokes for the class I think in high school it's more like okay you just said something inappropriate I need yeah. to really check in on you later yeah. <laughs> well they responded to the sarcasm yeah the high school is but the, yeah these high school they respond to the sarcasm they definitely do for like real quick one-liners oh yeah and and yeah. actually I my poor wife. She's a counselor at elementary school and I've had to teach her or help her learn how to help her, uh, her comeback game, you know, her, mm. her clapback game, because she was telling me this little fifth grader said this. I was like, this is what you say to that. And she's like, wow, how do you do that so quickly? I'm like, lots of practice because yeah, yeah, so I'm from Metro Atlanta. All we do is crack jokes. So it, like sixth grade is where I first started learning. Oh, I got to get quick. Yeah. So now with these students, oh, it's easy money. There was one kid, I can't say, I can't say out here, but he said something about me and I was cracking him all day. He wanted no more. All right, cool. Then I got that reputation. Nobody wanted Mr. Mr. Joy. But to answer Allie's question, I feel like I could go anywhere, anywhere and teach. It doesn't really matter. I think that's because I've lived in China. I've lived in Japan. I've lived here. And China, the United States are completely different. Night and day from like, there's no such thing as a straight line when you're waiting for something. It's like a real huddled mass to how people express themselves. It's different. And if I, I feel like if I can survive at both of those places, it doesn't matter which age group child that I have, I'm going to be okay. So yeah. 
I think when I first started teaching, I was like, oh, I want to teach high school because like I am that more like sarcastic person. So honestly, yeah. But then I saw fourth or eight and I was like, okay, please just don't put me in elementary school. I don't know what to talk about <laughs> with elementary school kids. That was my whole reason is I was like, I don't, but I think now that I'm in middle school, like I've taught seventh grade for four years and I've done sixth and eighth, at least one year. I feel like I'm, I'm good with middle school. I think it's like, I think it's the most fun age. Cause it's like, they're old enough to be able to sort of like do things on their own but they're not so old that they think that they're like better. Like they're not like, uh, like so old that they're just like done with school yet. Like still, there's still a lot of like a love for learning that's happening too with middle school. And they're funny. I think they're the funniest age of kids ever. Like, I feel like I come home every day and I'm like, okay, there's something I can laugh about that happened today at school. Like something that someone said or something that happened. The one thing I, I, like I said, I love middle school. The one thing I do wish if I did, I would teach high school if I wasn't teaching middle school. Hands down, I would teach high school just for the whole, the conversations I could have with them about world events. Mm. Um, I try to have those in middle school. They're a little harder sometimes. I have a couple students who can latch onto them. And I just feel like high school, it'd be, I just think they're like, obviously they're at a more uh, mature level Mm. to handle certain conversations. And that's like the one thing I, that's like the one drawback that I have. Now I have got my kids more invested in what's going on in the world around them throughout the year. So mm-hmm. when I bring something up, they're like, oh yeah, I heard about that. And so I'm like, okay, good. But I think that's like the one thing, like the one drawback I have for teaching middle school, just that it's not as a tune with everything that's going on. And I know no one can know everything, but you know, one thing I try to get them to understand that they should know what's going on around them. At this age, you need to know what's going on around you uh, because it's going to impact you in the future. Like teaching ELA for seventh graders is on the border of difficult and easy. It just depends on your students' reading level because there are, I like to teach using hip hop, right? So, like, um, I love Lupe Fiasco. He's just somebody who uses a bunch of metaphors and similes and illusions. And he also tells a very good story. Depending on the year that I have, like, not this past year, but last year, I was able to use some, a lot of his lyrics and we had good hour long discussion. With this last group, I wasn't able to do that. And it's just really a crapshoot to where, to your point, yeah, I wish I really could have more of those discussions with high school students. I feel like we could talk about it more like, hey, why would he say, uh, why would he make this, uh, uh, why would he give the stars personification? Why would they have this conversation with stars? That kind of stuff. It's kind of hard to do that. Yeah, that's the, that's the only thing. The, um, so you got ELA, science. Oh, we got all, oh, we got all four contents, all Where? four major contents. Okay. ELA, math, <laughs> science, social studies. Coming together like Voltron. Okay. Oh, I did not. I did not. So FYI, I didn't plan that. That's just the way the the dice fell. So, hey, props to me. So if you weren't teaching math, Janelle, what would you teach to the same Um, degree? To the same grade. To the same grade? I love teaching science. Like... Every every chance I get this year, I've taught science, and so uh, I really I just really like teaching science. I feel like there's it's all subjects, you know. We do a lot of they have to do a lot of reading. Um, there's a lot of history in science. Um, I mean, studying science is in a way studying history. So I do. I mean, I do like it, and I am you know I'm a history major, uh, so I would also teach sci- uh, history as well. But I really do like science, the math, the in it, the everything, and that it is self-discovery. If I wasn't in Texas, I lean more towards ELAR. But being in Texas, I would have to teach science, I think. Science or math, it's kind of a coin flip because I like both. But I think science, just because I have similar to the flexibility I have right now when it comes to like making my own lessons and, but also have projects and do like, you know, do the whole project-based learning works. It works in every subject without a doubt, but in science, science is just like tailor-made for it and experiments and so on and so forth. So I'll do seventh-grade science. I think mine's similar to you. If I was not in Texas, I would pick like Elar because I love reading. I love books. Like I love getting to like analyze like stories and like read on different topics being in Texas. I would probably do the opposite of science and I would go with, I teach science now. So I guess I would teach social studies. Um, just because I think history is like, 
interesting. And even like with like, let my, like I enjoy reading, but a lot of the books that I read are like also about history. So it kind of like ties in a little bit there too. Uh, I think I would teach uh, social studies. My first year teaching in the United States, actually I taught social studies for the seventh grade. I remember one of the projects I had was where students, like I gave them different land masses than they had picked from and their different proximities to water. And then they had to scramble for different resources and then they had to create trades and trade routes. Tra- <laughs> like that was fun to me. Not a- also, like I, having lived in China and Japan, I've traveled a lot so I could speak to some things for and nature so yeah oh yeah man yeah i just i would i would love to teach because i'm a also write and i write poetry and everything and dabble in the whole now i would love to teach writing and this is like ilar through poetry i could teach them everything i need just using poetry it's okay it's okay but you know you don't have that ah the flexibility just isn't there right now hopefully one day it comes back you know fingers crossed enough of Doing something that doesn't work hopefully makes people decide to mm. do something that does work. So um, teaching in Texas is that like restrictive? I won't say bad. It's just well, so they're doing this new thing where you know they try to I, what's the word streamline their lesson plans. Is that the word you would use? Streamline. They like to make sure every teacher's hitting the same like notes at the mm. same time. Yeah. So, but the I guess the the rationale behind that is like equity, and so yeah. I guess Texas's big thing is that they're trying to make education more equitable. Like, why are and of course it is a kind of like a double-sided sword of like, if we do this one thing, it kind of just negatively affects the groups that we're, we're putting on paper that we're trying to help. And so I think that um, the idea is that if we have this test that we give across the board and we have this curriculum that we give across the board, and then we also provide all of these districts with um, TEA sourced materials, then every classroom therefore should be equitable. And so that's kind of just like the blanket statement. And I think that that's like where uh, TEA comes from. And obviously we know that that's not how equity works. And so I think that that's like where where Texas is on that. Um, Actually, I mean, another, and this is aside from this, but when I was in high school, I went to our high school's um, Capitol Day and at the Capitol, and I had the opportunity to speak with the TEA commissioner, uh, which was Commissioner Williams at the time. And one of the things that he said was that, you know, like, Texas has an achievement gap. And I know that, you know, we've heard that a lot. Um, and I know that the counter to that as well, Texas doesn't have an achievement gap. There isn't an achievement. There's an opportunity gap and there's a resource gap and there's a there's a supply gap. And so and I think that that's where where things happen. And then that's where, um, you know, things kind of get shifted. Like while you can provide a blanket curriculum to every school, how does it filtrate down the same way? And it, and it doesn't. And so. I think that's where things become restrictive and things become uh, political. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah. I'm actually, it was funny. I got asked if I wanted to teach Iliar next year. I was asked and I looked at her and I said, no. <laughs> and she, and she looked at me like, why not? I'm like, I would love to teach it, but I couldn't teach it the way it's done now. Yeah. I just think that I would need some changes made before I would. But like Janelle said, so TEA, they know there's an equity problem, which ain't good on you for acknowledging that there's an equity problem. That's the first step in getting the problem fixed. Now, they tried to fix it. They're trying to fix it. And hopefully after getting some feedback, there would be more changes. I think they changed some, they already changed some things from this year to last year. Yeah. Um, but I think that the issue is, though, is that perspective, right? Because you have people who are in the schools who are saying, well, yes, this, these things, they just need to be improved. You know, like there's, that's one thing It's like, we need to improve the way that we test where there's the other side of it. It's like, well, testing isn't equitable for everybody. Testing doesn't, doesn't reach everyone in the same way. Neither do this, neither does this curriculum. And I think I touched this point earlier was that Texas culture um, is a lot different than the lived experience of Texans. And so, and and it's different, obviously, for like the people in the Capitol and the people that we teach in our classrooms is like their lived experience don't show up in the curriculum. They, their lived experiences are not accounted for uh, when the test is 
one day um, or it's a one week window to get something done. And so that's what I'm, that's what I guess I speak to when I'm saying like, there's two sides of this, which this, this top down approach to education is just very flawed because yeah, I want to give everybody the same thing, but that's really not successful and it hasn't been successful, but Texas has just been like, oh, it's not successful. Let's invest more money. And so we went from a, you know, one question, a one, one test every year with the tax test uh, to them splitting, you know, certain things into EOC where you take them, you know, each semester. And so there's just like a lot of things, which, and then it makes people more money. And so, you know, there's capitalism tied to all of this too. And so I think that there it's, it's, it's so multifaceted, but there, and it's so, it's so deep that, you know, you might have to have another podcast on just, on oh. just critiques. So, I have uh, uh, I'm just testing, but um, oh, I have an episode dedicated to standardized testing and testing in general. Yeah, down the road, yeah. I'll let you know when that. I think that's like in the teens, I believe it is. I will but definitely when tune in to listen. So, but when, if you're down to be on that episode, let me okay. know. I that's yeah. an episode. I have a lot to not just say, but I have suggestions also. Because one of my plans for this podcast isn't just to be complaining the whole time. I want to be solution oriented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for like that one, I already have like ideas that I think would work. Even if we can't get rid of the way testing is done now, I, I think there's ways to make it. Yeah. Like how can we individualize the problem? Yeah. How can we, yeah, and solve it that way? So yeah, not. But that's for a later podcast. Don't want to get off topic. So I want to go ahead and start wrapping up. Uh-huh. Uh, why? So someone's saying, I want to teach. I want to teach math. I want to teach middle school math. I want to teach middle school ELAR, I want to teach middle school science, so on and so forth. Why should they teach it? Well, that's one part. Why should they teach it? And two, why should someone stay in teaching if they're thinking about getting up? Those are two part questions, two questions. Why teach your subject and why stay in the education field? And alphabetical order, first name, Allie. Okay. So why teach science? Um, I think like what I was saying before is like, it offers a lot of opportunities to kind of make it like a very like hands-on way to learn. Um, and even like some topics that aren't like, like kids always want to mix chemicals together and there's only so many times like you can do things like that. But even with like learning by like biology or learning about the ecosystem, there's so many ways that you can like do like hands-on demonstrations. There's so many like things that are happening in the world that you can relate to what they're going to be learning inside the classroom. So if I was talking though to a teacher who had been teaching for like a year and wanted to leave education, um, the reason that I would say to stay is that like basically for, for your kids. Like, I think like, that's sort of why, like I've stayed is like, I'm like, this is a fun environment to work in when I get to be like, when I actually get to be in my classroom with my kids and we get to be learning. And it's really great to kind of see like maybe someone who didn't understand something at the beginning of what we were teaching. It's kind of really cool to get to see like, okay, we talked about it. Um, and then we got to do this lab on this. And then at the end they, it kind of clicks for them. Like, oh, this is what this means. And this is how I can see it. And this is how I can like identify that in the in the real world and so that's why I would say to stay in teaching so I have maybe I have a couple of reasons why you should teach math I think that math teaches kids problem solving um, and it's like simplest forms um, it teaches them to still be productive th- during their struggle I also think that like math helps you to to narrow things down during uncertainty and to uh, use all of the avenues that you know to like figure things out. And so I think like, I tell my kids at the beginning of the year, you guys, if y'all can really understand the number line, we can get through the year. And so, um, and you can be successful. And so I think that there is, there's value in that. And like knowing that if I can really make myself good at this, I can figure out anything. And then to, to any person that is like thinking about leaving education or unsure about education, I think that um, being a teacher has, for personal reasons, given me the opportunity to reparent myself. Um, It's opened up my eyes to some things that I needed work on, some uh, maybe childhood uh, trauma that needed to be uh, healed and recovered. And I think that being and seeing the kids and maybe being like, hmm, you know, how they reacted to something is just like, oh, next time I see myself in that feeling or uh, or something like, you know, something similar, then I know that uh, I've thought about how I can react. And uh, I think it's added value to my life tremendously. Uh, I would say uh, teach ELA because it teaches you how to organize, organize your thoughts, organize ideas, 
how to sequence them well, and uh, how to keep an end in mind. A good story isn't a good story if the end is garbage. Shouts out to Game of Thrones. <laughs> and, uh, you know, more practical reasons that I told my boys, like, hey, you guys like girls, right? Girls, how many of these boys do you think actually, like, have game? None of them raise their hands. Boom. <clears throat> Let me show you how to get some game, man. Figurative language. All right, poem, right? We listen to Maxwell. We break down our, what's that song called? Ascension. One of the boys I saw used one of those lyrics with a girl at the lockers and got her number. Boom. <laughs> Paid off that quick. And so right after that, students do, okay, maybe we need to take Mr. Jordan a little more serious. As to why to stay in the teaching, I wouldn't tell someone to stay in teaching if their district or their school hasn't instituted a way to help alleviate stress or help teachers take care of themselves. So I wouldn't make that blanket of a statement. But I can say that, hey, why I keep teaching is because of the personal relationships that I create with these students. Because I've had students call me dad, call me pops, right? Bring me stuff that they wouldn't bring their own parent because they trust me and they know that I'm going to listen and I'm not going to judge. And then some of the students I still talk to to this day, um, some students, there's one student who worked at um, Five Guys. He gives me free burgers and fries every time I see him just because... I create a relationship with them. And a lot of times you hear administrators say, hey, build relationships and it's kind of like trivial or, or trite, but it's true. If you build those relationships, those students will remember for the rest of their lives and they'll appreciate you. That's my reason for staying in. I say teach social studies to know how the world works. You know, this literally lets you know how to, not just how to work, how to navigate society. Um, Not just the society you're living in, but other societies, because obviously different societies, different rules. You know, so social studies can teach you how to be successful in one country, root yourself, go to another place, be successful there. And also just teaches you about the importance of social interactions and, you know, teaches you the importance of teamwork, leadership communication because we have lessons littered throughout history that shows us what happens when those are successful and when those are failures. So, and I think history is just a great way to show people that when I tell you about soft skills being important, I'm dead serious. And this is why I'm serious about what I'm saying. And then for anyone who's ever thinking about leaving education, I say, if you're, if you're tired, if you're, if you don't feel supported where you're at, go find somewhere else to be supported, where you can be supported. Uh, Cause that support looks different for different people. And Sometimes in the same location, two people at the same school feel supported a different way. And I say that try to remain, try to find somewhere else where you can be happy because I think teaching is one of the most rewarding professions there is because not, I mean, who really gets to see as much growth as we do in nine months? We really have like one person come in and by the end of the year, they can be almost someone completely different uh, for good or worse. But I just think being, and we have an uh, impact on that. If you're really good at your job, you kind of have like a like fingerprints on that student. So they know like, holy crap, you had so-and-so as a teacher. I know this because this. And I just, this was one of the best uh, feelings in the world, I think. So yeah, that ends it for us. Thank y'all.